Between the fumes from car exhaust, industrial emissions, and, as many of us have experienced recently, smoke from forest fires, the air we breathe is often filled with harmful pollutants. But did you know that the EPA has shown that indoor air can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air? This is why at my clinic and at my home, I use Air Doctor air filters. These filters are 100 times more effective than ordinary purifiers and help capture smoke, viruses, bacteria, pollen, mold, and dust mites. In fact, they capture 100% of some of the most dangerous ultrafine particles as small as 0.003 microns in size. And that's pretty small. They have a proprietary dual-action carbon gas trap VOC filter, which combines two types of media, activated carbon to remove gas and odors and potassium permanganate to deactivate certain volatile organic compounds, VOCs, like formaldehyde. Air Doctor's auto mode uses a professional-grade air quality sensor to assess the air in the room and immediately adjust to correct levels of air filtration. The sensor will also alert you when your air quality is compromised by changing its indicator lights from green to yellow or red. I discovered this feature almost immediately after installing my Air Doctor at home when the indicator light went from green to red. It got me wondering why the air was so bad and I did some digging. It turned out there was a problem with my furnace. After it was fixed, the Air Doctor sensor immediately turned back to green. Had I not discovered the issue with the help of the Air Doctor, we could have ended up with much greater problems. I often recommend the Air Doctor to my patients dealing with mold toxicity. Of course, I always recommend they remove themselves from the mold exposure as soon as possible, but I understand it takes time to remediate the home. So in the meantime, as well as on an ongoing basis, I recommend they get Air Doctors running in their homes. One of these machines would be a great Christmas gift for a loved one. Stop by the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic if you'd like to see different sizes or visit the bonus tab of my website, yourlongevityblueprint.com to find a special link for $280 off the 83,000 using code GRAY15. That's capital G-R-A-Y 15. And watch for even greater promotions during Black Friday and Cyber Monday. But you must use my link, which we'll post in the show notes. best water filter is the one that takes out the contaminants that you have. And I don't know what those are. Welcome to the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You're about to hear from Laura Adler again today for part two of our conversation. Today, we're diving into environmental chemical exposure, specifically endocrine disrupting chemicals and practical tips for reducing your exposure. She is beyond a wealth of knowledge on this topic, so much so this became a two-part series. If you haven't listened to part one, please go back and listen where we dove into BPA. This week, she'll dive into PFOS, phthalates, dioxins, parabens, triclosans, and sulfates. She'll talk about water filtration, and most importantly, we'll talk about small changes you can make to improve your health. Let's get started. Uh, okay, I can talk to you forever. Let's go to P, I don't know how to pronounce it, if PFAS and PFOS are the same thing. But can we go there? Because I actually have a friend whose water has been contaminated with this which is, I believe, also an endocrine disruptor. She lives near an airport. It's in the water, I think, from the airport. Maybe you can put that together. But is that common? What do you know about this? Have you heard of this? How dangerous is it? So PFAS stands for per and polyfluoral alkyl substances. It is just a class. It's not a chemical. Um, in fact, there um, are estimated to be over 10,000 chemicals in this class, the majority of which we don't know anything about period, it's a black hole because um, of, you know, there's depends on depending on which country you live in. Um, there's no like in the United States, we don't have any. I mean, they're blo- this is a global problem, right? 99% of people in the United States already have these chemicals in their blood. It's already a problem. We can't put the cap back in the bottle, right? We can slow it. Anyway, so PFAS is this enormous class. They're used in hundreds of thousands of places, applications, both in industrial manufacturing, consumer manufacturing, military, um, in medicine. They're used in millions of places. So this enormous class doesn't... um, They're not all identical chemicals, but they seem to share a lot of the same properties. So the fluoro, the perfluoral alkyl substances, the fluoro in there indicates the presence of fluorine. Fluorine is an element. It is a halogen on the periodic table of elements. So is chlorine, bromine, and iodine. 
Iodine is essential for healthy thyroid function. It's a Goldilocks element. Too much is not good. Too little is too good, is not good. Unfortunately, when you have chemicals on the periodic table, they share similar properties. That's why they're grouped together. And so chlorine, fluorine, and bromine, and chemicals that are made with fluorine, chlorine, and bromine, including fluorinated chemicals, chlorinated chemicals, and brominated chemicals, all have the capacity to displace iodine in the thyroid. They push out iodine, and so they can are directly linked to a lot of thyroid issues, unsurprisingly. That is something to be concerned with. And this is why the entire class of chemicals is concerning. So the chemical industry will often say, oh, well, these very toxic chemicals, PFOA, PFOS, these are just two chemicals in this enormous family. Well, those ones were terrible. Those ones have been phased out of use. We don't use those anymore. We use all these other ones, but these other ones are totally safe. And it's like, well, you can't say that because it's a it's a fluorinated compound. And we already know that fluorine, because of how it interacts with, for example, even just thyroid hormone, like that's a problem. And so um, the class of chemicals is enormous. They're found in, like I said, hundreds of uh, consumer products. They are used, um, they're incredibly persistent. And persistent just means that they don't break down or they don't break down easily at all, which is why we have polar bears in the Arctic that have these chemicals, just like flame retardants, they're very persistent. And so they build up in our bodies and we have them in our tissues, um, in breast milk, in serum, in adipose tissue, like they're just in our bodies. And they're, we're exposed to them constantly. So the, your, your friend who lives near a airport, you said? So airports and military bases and areas surrounding those tend to be the most polluted, also industrial areas where they're being manufactured or they're being used in manufacturing tend to be the areas that are most polluted. And the reason why um, airports and uh, military bases in particular tend to be polluted is because the firefighting foam that they use for whether it's a drill on putting out a fire or there it's an actual fire, those foams contain PFAS in large quantities. And so though they spray them on the tarmac, they spray them on the you know field, whatever, because they're putting out it, they're doing a drill and they got to teach people how to put out a fire. And so they're using these fluorinated firefighting foams. And then those chemicals, dis, they get into the groundwater, get into the drinking water. Um, and for the first, so we have our national, um, the Safe Drinking Water Act was passed in the 1970s. This was our, you know, one of our very early environmental regulations uh, laws in this country was like, hey, we need to regulate chemicals in the water. Great. That's a good, that's a good idea. Currently, there's about 89 chemicals that are regulated just because the chemicals regulated does not mean that it is not present in the water because water utilities are constantly in violation of federal law on limits of toxic chemicals. For the first time since 1996, since I was a freshman in college, for the first time since 1996, there's been a proposal to add six individual PFAS chemicals to the safe drinking water list of regulated contaminants. It's not even passed. It's just a proposal. I'm sure it will pass. But it's the first time we've added new chemicals to this list since 1996. So like, we're not doing a great job. And the levels of these chemicals, these PFAS chemicals, is so low, it's basically zero. The safe level is basically zero. And it is the lowest threshold for any chemical on their registry because they're so strong in their endocrine disrupting capacity that those small amounts are still showing harm. So she cannot drink the water near her house. I mean, that's no, she very clear. Filter her water. Yeah, yes. Well, so I don't even, well, I guess that's my question is, can she filter her water? Can yes. this be filtered out with an yeah, appropriate? Yes. PFAS are actually not extremely hard to remove from the drinking water. What is required at a minimum is a multi-stage activated carbon filter. So it, it has to be a multi-stage. So single stage filters like a Brita filter, not going to touch it at all. There needs to be a larger volume. So if you think of those like under sink 
canisters where you install a water filtration sink. It just needs to have multiple filters and at least one of those needs to be activated carbon. Those are really good at taking out PFAS. Um, A reverse osmosis system will take out all PFAS. Very good to know. I feel like we should stay on the topic of water for a second here because I did put, and I've mentioned this on the podcast, when I built my house, I put reverse osmosis in the house because I knew enough at that point. But then I thought, oh gosh, that's taking out the minerals. So now I got to replete the minerals. <laughs> but that was only for my drinking water. It wasn't, a, that was, so the RO was for the drinking water. You would never do reverse osmosis for your whole for house. Sure. It's so wasteful. Sure, sure. So, But she would still be showering in water that has PFAS, however we say that. My son, my, the city I live in notoriously has very high chlorine levels, which like, as you were saying, can displace iodine as well. But bottom line is once I had a son, I'm bathing him, bending down to, you know, bathe him and I'm just inhaling this chlorine and I'm thinking, this is disgusting. I had no idea because I honestly don't take a lot of baths. I do showers, obviously same water, but in that moment, I knew I had to put a whole house filtration system. And so I put in a charcoal filtration system. It sounds like she could do the same thing, but all this to be said, question that a lot of my patients ask, which I don't always have the answer to is what do they need to be thinking about with purchasing water filters? Because a lot of people just get the Brita. And I say, I, I know that that's not sufficient, but I don't know why. So I think I heard you said, has to have one layer of carbon and it has to have multiple layers. So that's just for PFAS. Okay. Okay. So, In general, what should a consumer look for with yeah, water filtration? So it's actually really hard for me to answer that question because... And I actually have a three-hour course on water contamination and filtration because it's not a simple question to answer, right? If it was, you could go to my website and be like, here, buy this. This is the quote-unquote best filter, which is what people are experiencing online. Influencers or whatever accounts being like, oh my God, this is the best filter. Go out and buy it. Here's the problem with that. Everybody's water contamination profile is different. I might have arsenic. That's really hard to remove. You might have some other, you might have, your city might not use chlorine. I mean, if you can smell it, it's, it is. Some cities use chlorine and ammonia. And so that requires a different treatment because it's harder to remove. You might live in an agricultural area where there's more pesticides. Somebody else might live in an industrial area where there's more industrial chemicals. Somebody might have lead pipes in their house. Somebody else might not. And so there's so many different variables. Then there's also the variable of cost. How much money do people have? Not only factoring in the cost of the filter and replacement filters, but your water bill. So like the reverse osmosis, you know, for every gallon of water that you drink, it can take between three to five gallons of water to produce one gallon. So there's never knew that. Yeah. 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 And so this is why you would never put it in a whole house system because that means every time you flush the toilet. Yeah you're just wasting water. I live in the desert. So water waste is not not cool. Then there's also cost and budget. How much can people afford? A whole house system at at a minimum is going to run, you know, $1,000 to $1,500 and upwards. Not everybody can afford that. I remember when I lived in New York City, I had like a 600 square foot one bedroom apartment. I had 24 inches of counter space in my kitchen. I had a tiny tiny kitchen. I also had, um, I couldn't open the oven door without opening the fridge door first. This tiny, a lot of people live like that. And people at the time, I remember telling me, oh, you need to get a Berkey water filter. I'm like, where the hell am I going to put a Berkey? I don't have a countertop. I'm not sacrificing my limited counter space. So I've seen those big silver, you like Berkey. What's the deal with the Berkey? Why are they so popular? They're popular because social media influencers love to sell them. That's why. Okay. Um, They have all kinds of problems. I don't generally recommend them. The problem is people are saying influencers, whatever people who are selling filters, this is the best filter. Oh my God, my water tastes so good. I drink, I love it. Okay, great. Well, taste is not an indicator of whether or not there's not toxic chemicals in there. A lot of chemicals don't have a taste. So taste is not, that's completely subjective, first of all. Second of all, it is not an indicator of how contaminant-free your water is. Second, they are taking the claims that the filter companies are making at face value when the water filter industry is the it's the wild west out there. People are making all kinds of claims that I'm like, there's no way your filter takes that out because I know the media in your filter and that media doesn't adequately remove that chemical. So it's complicated, right? So the thing that I recommend, I don't recommend people go out and buy a filter. I recommend that they actually test their water. water. 
Yeah. So, the, and there's a company called TEPScore that I recommend. They have really great testing and they will actually score like a tap, and they will actually, based on your results, give you an unbiased and unaffiliated recommendation and say, Hey, here's a couple filter companies that we know that should be able to take these chemicals out. You decide what you want to do, but at least now you have more information mm. to say, okay, here are these chemicals in my water. Three of them are at levels that are concerning. I'm going to prioritize filtering those or these. Out. Yep. Yeah. So Wise what approach. happens? Yep. Yeah. So what happens is people go to the store. They go to you know Costco or or what Target or wherever their shop, Home Depot, and they're like, oh, here's a water filter. Look at the long list of chemical names that it says it takes out. I'm that's impressive. I'll buy this one because this list is really long. It says it takes out 300 chemicals. Amazing. Look, I'm so dazzled. I don't know what any of these chemicals are, but like, wowee. Except if you don't know that maybe your water has arsenic and that's an incredibly toxic chemical that you absolutely want to pull out of your water. And it's also not easy to get out. You need specialized filters to do that. You're just going to look at this list of all these chemicals and maybe you don't even have your water. And then the one that you want to remove is not on the list. And then you've just wasted, you know, $100 or $300 on a filter. And you have this false sense of confidence that your water is great. And so we have to be informed. It's the one area that like, I mean, I've been doing this, like I said, for 11 years, I have probably been asked what kind what's the best water filter. And I'm like, the best water filter is the one that takes out the contaminants that you have. And I don't know what those are. And I also don't know what you can afford. And I don't know how much room you have in your house. And I don't know if you're a renter or do you own your home? Lots of variables. I found that out with some patients who I, I found some things based on testing. I said, you really need to be filtering your water. And they said, well, based on my lease, I had a three-year lease with this home. They were not allowed to put in any sort of you know large unit, which was sure. interesting. But I will put that TAP score in the show notes because that's super yeah, interesting. It's, just a good, it's a really good yeah. resource. Thank you. you. Know, it, yeah. It's not, look, it's not free, right? It's going to be a couple hundred bucks to test yeah, the water. Yeah. But I think it's, if people can afford to do that, I think that's really, it's worth it. If they can't afford to do it, um, it's not great information, but it's some information. If they're in the United States, they can Google um, water quality report and then their city and state Mm -hmm. every year your water municipality is legally required to produce this report. They don't always do it. So you might not find the current year. You might find, you know, last year or the year before. Um, And it will give you some information about those regulated contaminants that they're legally required to test for. But it's not a full picture because there's hundreds and hundreds of chemicals in the water that are legally allowed to be there because there's no regulation saying that they can't be there. And does any water filter filter out like birth control pills and hormones, medication, that sort of stuff? uh, Reverse osmosis will do that. Uh, We'll take out... I mean, reverse osmosis... Will take out the most contaminants of every of any system. It's not without its downsides. We should really be remineralizing the water because that will strip all beneficial minerals out. That's easy to do. That is a, an option for people. But like, I also want to caveat that like, don't just go get at an RO system if you don't need it because it's so overkill for most situations. And unless you have a chemical that can only be removed by RO, it's just wasteful and unnecessary. Well, I did it because I, I didn't know, but... Yeah, I mean, look, we all do things we didn't know. Um, yeah. But I, I've thought, though, many times downstairs, I'm looking at that system and I'm thinking, great, this is filtering my water, but yet it's connected to a tube, a plastic tube, which isn't yeah. taking my water up to the kitchen. And I'm thinking, what's in that plastic tube? It isn't, I'm now getting plastics in my water. And how often does that tube need to be changed out? And, you know, I, I just, I'm thinking again in layers of is, huh. I think, and I get that question a lot too. One, we have to, and this is really hard to do. And this is why I do education for practitioners is because they're going to get these questions. And it's just like in, you know, medicine, we have to learn to triage is how I refer to it. Like which things are in fact a four alarm fire and which things are like, look, in the grand scheme of things, that's not as big of a deal as this. Or sometimes it's, look, I can't control that exposure. So I am going to just try to let it go and not be stressed about it because certainly stress contributes to chronic disease as well. And that's not helpful. There is a wave 
of people's emotion as they learn about this, right? In the beginning, it's very overwhelming. And then the more information they get, that overwhelm starts to spike. And then more information later, if they have the ability to triage, the overwhelm actually goes down. Like I'm not somebody who stresses. I know a lot about this topic. And sometimes I jokingly say, I know too much to like live comfortably in this world. The real joke, and I've been saying this for years, I need to make a t-shirt that says like, Laura ruins everything. Because I feel like I can, like it's a superpower that I have. I don't want to, I don't seek out trying to ruin someone's day. Um, but I, I, I do know a lot of, about exposures and you know what materials contain what chemicals. And I don't have a ton of anxiety because I've learned to both temper and triage. And so what I mean by that is and it take it can take a minute for people to get to that place where you're like, eh, yeah, I went out for lunch and they put my leftovers in a styrofoam takeout container. And that really bums me out. And But I'm not going to freak out. And maybe I'll eat some of the food, but I won't eat all of it. And now I'm just not going to go back to that restaurant or I'm going to bring my own container and say, hey, can you put the leftovers in this? I'm just going to kind of navigate it with as much grace as I could possibly muster. Um, and, and really this comes from one, learning to triage and two, um, the, the expression that I use is that we change the things we can control. So we worry less about the ones that we can't, we buy ourselves some allowance, right? And so if I say, look, in my house, I'm buying mostly organic food. I don't put food in plastic containers. I don't put leftovers in plastic. I don't really eat canned foods. They also have BPA. I say no to thermal receipts. All of my personal care products and household cleaners are made with safer ingredients. I don't have flame retardants in my couch. Like I've gone out of my way to do a lot of these things, but it just means that I bought myself some allowance. We do the best that we can in terms of reducing our exposures in as many places as we can. And it's going to take time for that to happen. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, you know, it's, it, and also I'll point this out. This is more for folks that are either just getting started and are like, oh, where do I start? Or folks that are on a budget. I think, unfortunately, in the health space and in the wellness community online, there is this projection that this like super healthy lifestyle is really only for people that are affluent. And like, if you can't afford this like $4,000 sauna, like you're going to die. And I hate that because in reality, unfortunately, the populations both here in the United States and globally that are most disproportionately exposed to toxic chemicals are low income black and brown communities. Um, we have redlining practices where we have devaluation of neighborhoods um, that are predominantly black. And that is where waste factories and industries situate, where there's not as much green spaces where they don't have access to healthy food. So like there are these all of these sort of confounding factor, co-founding factors that lead to this disproportionate exposure in different populations. And those individuals have less access to alternatives. So I think we really need to, for me as an educator and for the practitioners in your audience, like we really need to have a um, broader understanding of who is being exposed, who has access to what, and what can we do that's not a shop our way out of this solution, right? And so my recommendation is for individuals who are starting on this journey is to um, start with the things that are free and easy. That's the way I phrase it. What's free and what's easy. So free is opening your windows, literally open your windows. I know that just sounds so silly and pointless, but the reality is that the air inside our homes, because we generally don't open our windows because of all these toxic chemicals in our paint and our carpeting and our couch and our furniture are off-gassing. They get trapped in our homes and they, they settle in our house dust. And then our kids are crawling around on the floor and they're sticking their hands in their mouth and they're getting higher exposures. And so if we open our windows, we can actually let some of those volatile chemicals dissipate into the air and we get fresh air inside our home. So free and easy. Step number one is open your windows. Step number two is, um, this one sucks, I'm really sorry, increase house dusting and vacuuming because those chemicals that off-gas also settle in our house dust. 
I don't know about you, but one of the things that's most important to me as I age is staying energized and mentally sharp. One of the essential nutrients for promoting these outcomes is CoQ10, a potent antioxidant found in every cell in your body. CoQ10 plays a critical role in neurological protection, energy production, cardiovascular health, and blood sugar balance, and as one of the most powerful known fat-soluble antioxidants protecting cells, organs, and tissues from damage caused by oxidative stress and free radicals. The only problem? Well, we begin to lose CoQ10 as we age and by taking certain medications. Fortunately, there's a supplement we can take to top up our levels. Our CoQ10 is delivered in an oil-based proprietary form and includes natural vitamin E for enhanced absorption and maximum stability. I recommend anybody over the age of 35 or those taking a medication that depletes it, like statin medications, for instance, take CoQ10 to help support healthy and balanced cellular function. I have found in my clinical experience it's very helpful for energy, headaches, and even lowering blood pressure. Use code CoQ10, that's C-O-Q-1-0, for 10% off at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Let's get back to the show. I don't want to cut you off, but I do want to go back to endocrine disrupting chemicals, one that you just mentioned. So yes, go there. Please go there. So phthalates um, are a... An endocrine disrupting chemical, it is also not a chemical, it's a class of chemicals. So there's many types of phthalates. They're used primarily in two sort of categories. They're used in plastics to make plastics soft and flexible. They're not going to be found in hard, rigid plastic. They're not in every plastic. They're just in, like, think about your shower curtain, your garden hose, those like rubbery Halloween masks that kids wear. Um, I just bought um, RCA cables to hook up my turntable. And turntable. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, it came with a Prop 65 warning that it contains phthalates. And I was like, oh, geez, because they're just for the flexibility in the cord. They're also used as a solvent and a fixative for fragrance. If you are using a product that has fragrance as an ingredient, there is a very good chance that that fragrance mixture contains phthalates. So if we think, for example, of laundry products like dryer sheets or fabric softener, and some of these products um, I don't know, Downy or Gain, I don't know, whatever. One of them advertises these like, you know, long-term scent release beads. And you can take your towels out of the linen closet six months after you've washed them and they still smell like your detergent. And people love that, right? They love detergent smell. The problem is the thing that stretches the duration of the extent that that chemical lives or uh, sticks around are phthalates. Phthalates are in, whether it's a scented candle, if it's in your perfume, it's in your shampoo, even, you know, mascara can sometimes have fragrance added. Why? I don't know, right? But sometimes fragrances are added to mask an unpleasant chemical smell. And so the front of the package might say fragrance-free, but that doesn't mean that the ingredient doesn't have fragrance in it. You actually have to read the ingredients, right? This chemical is endocrine disrupting. One of the highest, uh, one of the most studied endocrine disrupting chemicals aside from BPA are phthalates. Um, there was actually a fascinating study that just came out. I just posted about it um, recently on my Instagram that was looking at phthalates in personal care products and parabens in personal care products. Parabens are also endocrine disrupting. There are preservative, those found in a lot of personal care products. And this was um, a study looking at breast cancer and the association between these chemicals and breast cancer. It's a really interesting study. They took um, a group of, I don't remember the count. It wasn't like hundreds of thousands. It was like a hundred something women, healthy women with no history of breast cancer. And they did a fine needle aspirate sample of breast tissue before and after this intervention. And the intervention was let's take away and swap out all of your normal personal care products that all have phthalates and parabens in them because that's just what's on the market with products that are phthalate-free and paraben-free. And after 28 days, that's it. 28 days, they did another fine needle aspirate breast tissue sample. And what they found, and they did other samples, they did urine uh, samples before and after as well. And so one, they found that urinary levels of both chemicals dropped significantly. Of course they would because both of those chemicals are non-persistent. Their half-life in the body or their excretion time is like six to 12 hours. 
You take it in, you metabolize it, you pee it out. Now, that doesn't mean that in the short amount of time that it's in the body, it's not causing a problem. There's certainly that shows that. But our levels are constant because we're taking them in faster than we can pee them out. So that's why this study was like, let's just take these personal care products out. And what they found was so interesting. They basically found that after 28 days, it reversed pro-carcinogenic gene expression. So these women were healthy. They did not have breast cancer, but they already had pro-breast cancer genes expressing. Hmm. And they pulled back and said, let's take these chemicals out. And then those that gene expression dropped. Amazing, right? which is encouraging. Yeah, there's some good news. Totally yeah. encouraging. Yep. yep. And so there, um, as it's, uh, the study abstract says, estrogen-mediated functional signaling normalized within the period post-28 days of reduction. It normalized within breast cells. Pretty wild study. We don't really see studies that are designed in this way, but it was brilliant in the findings. I mean, this was has a published date of May 2023, so it's like just come out. And really, really interesting. Is glyphosate also non-persistent? Because I've heard that if you change your diet, or maybe it's just, maybe this was in regards to herbicides and pesticides, like changing your diet. There was a study, something like this, where in 28 days, checking levels pre yes. and post, right? Your so levels... Most- Yes. And it doesn't even take 28 days. So um, I don't know specifically for glyphosate in particular, but glyphosate is non-persistent. So, you know, in the 1960s, uh, late 1960s, early 1970s, we actually moved away from the uh, organochlorine pesticides, which are highly, highly persistent. Those were the ones that Rachel Carson wrote about in her 1962 book, Silent Spring. What was on the market then were organochlorine pesticides like DDT. And so highly, highly persistent and toxic. And so that was why we were like, yep, this whole class has to go. Not this chemical and that chemical, which is what we fight about now. But they were like, this class of chemicals is toxic and persistent and we need to get rid of it. So we switched to organophosphate pesticides from organochlorine. Organophosphate pesticides are not persistent They are still toxic, but they're not persistent. And so there have been multiple studies in people and adults and children that have found that when they switched from a conventional diet to a mostly organic diet, not even 100%, they're able to drop circulating pesticide levels in urinary metabolites by 80 to 90% in three to five days. Wow. Because they're not persistent. And so when it comes, I mean, I literally just did this post, I think on social media just the other day. Everybody follow her on social media. It sounds like you have some good posts. Um, is that uh, the best intervention when it comes to toxic exposures within the realm of non-persistent chemicals, which is a lot of them, certainly not all of them, is avoidance. That's it. There's, we don't need a supplement. We don't need a detox protocol. It's avoidance. That is the most powerful intervention. And that I think is where, like, it's actually why I love working with practitioners because they are often taught, like, oh, depending on obviously what their uh, area training is or specialty is. Um, but they're often, you know, they often jump to the protocol. Ah, let me give you this supplement regime or this complicated detox process regime. Let's test you for all these chemicals. Oh, wow, you have them. No shit. Sorry. But like everyone has them, right? And so a lot of times those tests aren't really, not that they're not helpful, but they're telling us things that like we already know. You would say that to defend myself because I'm one of those practitioners. I have to say some patients have to see it on paper. Like they legitimately have to see it on paper where I can say, look how high these levels are. And to, you know, to prove to them, you have had an exposure to this gasoline additive or whatever it is. Like, and then they're like, oh yeah, there was this big leak. Or, I mean, some patients just need to see it on paper to make the change. Some people. <laughs> so yeah, it's a yes and, right? Like everything, it's a yes and. And so anyway, the, the most powerful intervention for a lot of these exposures is just minimizing exposure in as many places as possible, right? And so, and that's lifestyle, you know, lifestyle behavior change. Um, it takes time to implement, but in a lot of instances, the effect can be immediate, right? With these non-persistent chemicals. So, you know, there was a study, similar study to the, uh, not a breast cancer study, but to the personal care product swap um, that was using, I think it's called a Hermosa study. And it was with uh, Latina teenage girls, 
who use like a ton of all teenage girls tend to use a ton of, you know, makeup and eyeshadow and perfume and all this stuff. And they did a similar study where they said, let's swap out these paraben phthalate triclosan containing personal care products with ones that don't have these. And they saw an enormous drop 30, 47, I think 47% in a week, a week. And so there's a lot of research to support that when we practice these behavior changes, these avoidance behaviors, we can actually reduce the levels in our bodies, which is what we're aiming for. Yes, that makes me feel better when I like get my makeup done. We recently had headshots taken, right? You get your makeup done, all that. And I'm like just thinking I'm cringing. Every time I get all that stuff sprayed yes. on my face, I get acne when I normally don't get acne. And blah, but I'm like, okay, this is one day of exposure. Yeah. Like twice a year or whatever. Like yes, I can handle exactly. it. I can handle that one when I yeah, normally I mean, use very safe. The, yeah, same thing happened to me a couple of months ago. I got my hair cut and you know, the hairstylist, you know, I was just like, look, I'm not gonna be a little annoying person and be like, Can you use no product on me? Just like let her do her thing. It's fine. Yes, did I walk into my get into my car under like a cloud of hair product yeah, smell yeah. and I promptly go home and wash it out? Yes. You should be able to handle that. We shouldn't have to live in a bubble. Like we should be able to handle that. Yeah, yeah. There are some people that can't handle it, right? Whether they're you know, chemically sensitive. And so some people like they can't do that. They have to just say, look, I need you to cut my hair and don't use any product. It can be really hard to be that person in the world because you feel like it's being difficult. So let, let me go back to endocrine disrupting chemicals because you did mention for a moment. So we talked about phthalates and then you mentioned kind of parabens and you said triclosan. Can you just expand on what those are briefly, what those two are? And I want to talk about PCBs also. Yeah. So parabens are a preservative. Um, they're found in a wide range of personal care products. The more liquid the product is, the more parabens are going to be present because the liquid is water. And, and in sometimes presence- in corn shells at the grocery store, I found. Have you ever seen that? I I, put, I did a social media post on this, and I'm like, why would there be parabens in my yeah, corn? So there can't... are a couple of parabens that are approved for food use, ah. um, which is not great. Um, and I think um, there was just yesterday, I want to say, I don't remember what state it was. I want to say like someplace in New England, like New Hampshire or something like that, um, just put forth a proposal for a law that's actually going to ban certain ingredients from food. And one of those I think was a methylparaben. So yeah. So um, yeah. So parabens are a preservative. Like here's the thing. We don't want no preservatives, right? We need preservation in our products because without preservation in our products, we run the risk of bacteria growth. That can be problematic, right? We don't want to be applying something to our skin if it's riddled with bacteria or mold or something like that. And so preservation is important. The problem is that parabens are, while they're a great preservative, they're also an endocrine disruptor. And so we don't want to be putting that those uh, products that contain parabens on our skin. There's better preservatives out there that we can use. So like, let's just use them. Parabens are cheap. So that's why they're commonly used. But yes, they are another endocrine disrupting chemical. Triclosan is a antibacterial ingredient. It's not as commonly used as it used to be in personal care products. It is a antibacterial and it was used to be used very heavily in hand soaps and hand sanitizers. That was actually banned in 2016 or 17. The FDA was like, yeah, you can't, you can't put that chemical in not necessarily because of its toxicity, although there is plenty of research showing that it is an endocrine disrupting chemical. Why? Because of the cl- triclosan, right? That's fluorine, right? So that's the chlorine and that, that chlorine, bromine and fluorine. So it directly affects thyroid health. Um, so it was actually banned, not because of its toxicity, but because the companies couldn't prove that it's inclusion in hand sanitizers and hand soaps was actually more effective than just soap and water. So it was a completely unnecessary ingredient. And the FDA was like, you can't use this chemical technically registered as a pesticide. You can't use this if it's not actually doing anything. So it was banned from hand soaps and hand sanitizers at a commercial level. But if you work in a clinical setting, you can still find 
triclosan in hand sanitizers and hand soaps in hospital settings, in clinic settings. Um, it was only banned from those two categories at the consumer level. Some toothpastes can contain it. Some deodorants can contain it. And if you've ever gone shopping for a cutting board or socks or running shoes, and you see this protected by microban technology, that is essentially a form of triclosan that has now been embedded into the cutting board or the handle of your pizza cutter or, or your gym socks as a mechanism of like, you know, tackling bacteria. The problem is, and this is just an intentionally deceptive marketing, is people are like, oh, I'm going to be safe from bacteria on this product. Mm. No. Compounds, antibacterials are there to protect the integrity of the material, not the person who's interacting with it. But they don't tell you that. Speaking of toothpaste, earlier you mentioned many toothpastes have sodium lauryl sulfate. What's the challenge with, I'm just asking questions I think our listeners would want to also know. What's the problem with sodium lauryl sulfate? So sodium lauryl sulfate is not a toxic chemical. It's not an endocrine disruptor. It's not going to a carcinogen. Primary problem with sodium lauryl sulfate is one, it can be irritating uh, because it's a sur- so it's a surfactant, which just means a surface acting agent, and it's the thing that helps. Um, it's what creates suds and it helps kind of pull fats away and wash them down the drain. That's why like your shampoo has it because it foams, it gets all that soap, uh, I mean the fat, the oils, and washes them out. Um, There are other products that are surfactants that are not quite as irritating. And so one, it's just, it can be really drying and irritating to the skin. It can also be essentially what's referred to as a penetration enhancer, which means because it's stripping fats and oils from your skin, it can kind of... um, weaken the integrity of your skin and cause other ingredients in the product that may be problematic to kind of move through the layers of your skin and potentially get into your bloodstream. It's mostly, I think, you know, it's not one of, it's often on the sort of no list from a lot of low tox companies that are using, you know, safer ingredients in their personal care products. It doesn't sit as high on the shelf of concern as something like phthalate does, but for some people, it can be really irritating. The bigger concern is the uh, chemical that's used to replace sodium lauryl sulfate because it can be uh, irritating to the skin is sodium laureth sulfate, and it's L-A-U-R-T-E-T-H. And so the E-T-H and any chemical that has that E-T-H so satirith, there's a lot of chemicals that have this. That is an indication that the chemical has undergone a process called ethoxylation. And during that chemical process, there is a very strong potential for a byproduct to be formed. It's not an ingredient, it's just a byproduct from the chemical process called 1,4-dioxane, and that is a carcinogen. It's typically, if it's present, it's present in extremely tiny amounts, but it is a known carcinogen. And um, it's just, like I said, on the triage list, I would much rather prioritize somebody taking out a paraben or a phthalate, which we absolutely know is going to be concerning, versus an ingredient that may possibly have a byproduct it may not have the byproduct. Some companies can strip it out. Some companies, you know, it's just, it's, it's a prioritizing. Okay, last chemical question, because I know we've gone a long time here. What about PCBs? Uh, PCBs are primarily going to be found in food at this point. So polychlorinated biphenols, these are chemicals that were primarily banned in the 1970s because of their toxicity and persistence. They are endocrine disrupting. They are carcinogens. They are highly, highly persistent. Um, and different um, congeners of PCBs can behave differently in the body. But generally speaking, they are toxic chemicals that we do want to avoid. Because of their persistence, they tend to accumulate in animals, in adipose tissue. And so um, animal products are our primary source of PCB, including things like seafood and farm seafood in particular, and then high-fat dairy products. You can go and look for pastured and organic meats and dairy. This does not mean that it's not going to have any toxic chemicals whatsoever because these chemicals are just distributed in the environment. If your animal is outside or any animal is outside and it's grazing or eating other animals or whatever, uh, as in the case of fish, then it can accumulate there. So our primary exposure source to PCBs is, is seafood, meat and dairy. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for really diving into all those endocrine disrupting chemicals. We spent, spent the <laughs> and there's of this- many more. Oh, yeah. Those are just the ones that I wanted to ask you about today. And thank you also for just giving us tips on kind of triaging and how we can reduce anxiety over this whole topic, because it can be very overwhelming. And I have some patients who like get post-traumatic stress disorder over, they think they're avoiding something and then they find out they're getting it somewhere else and whatnot. So this has been wonderful and I want to learn more. So I do want to ask you just a few more questions, um, especially about resources and courses you have available. But before we get to that, I do want to ask how you do live in this world. So let me ask you, what are your non-negotiables? Like in your household, what is something that is not allowed? What are you 100%? Oh, fragrance. Like scented can like I don't have scented candles or air fresheners. I hate it when people I mean like I'm not, no, no one in my immediate circle is like a perfume wearer, but like that I hate. Like I had Me a sitter come for an interview about pet sitting and she had so much perfume on and she like sat on my couch and it took like You're like no yeah well it took like three days to dissipate i was like dang uh, so that's one of my no non-negotiable non-negotiables. Yep. um anything else in your house obviously you do filter your water how do you live in this world what are your kind of you've already given us some some steps of obviously avoidance is important but like what are maybe three to five things that you think are the biggest needle movers they're just ways you've learned to live your life if we kind of had to summarize this up kind of three to five things that you would recommend. I think, you know, one, avoiding synthetic, avoiding fragrance across the board, right? As, in as many places as possible. Household cleaners, personal care products, laundry products, scented home fragrances. Just take those out. Take them out. They're not necessary, right? Especially when it comes to like home fragrances like scented candles and sprays and diffusers and essential oils, I think fall into that category. A lot of people love essential oils. I don't, frankly, they are volatile organic compounds. They can be irritants. They can be respiratory irritants, allergenic triggers for people. And I think I'm in the wellness space. There's this oversaturation of like diffuse oils and to do this. And, and it's like, that's, these are highly, highly concentrated um, chemicals that we never, never would interact with in our, in our normal everyday lives. If you want your house to smell like roses, go get some roses. Don't diffuse rose essential oil, whatever, right? Like it's an example, but like they're highly, highly concentrated. They're toxic to animals in a lot of cases. So they're not, I think the uh, misconception is if something is natural, it's safe. If something is synthetic, it's toxic. That is not, it's not that simple. Um, arsenic is natural. Mercury is natural. Lead is natural. Opium, natural, all things that are highly toxic. So we have to dispel that um, belief. So one, I'd get rid of fragrances across the board. Um, if you have uh, the resources to prioritize organic foods whenever possible, it's not possible all the time, filtering your water, um, switching to personal care products, not even just fragrance, but that are you know phthalate-free and paraben-free. And so those are sort of the, the big ones that are more accessible to people. So those, that's, you know, that's just, that's how I, that's my jam. That's how I do it. You know, everything is glass and metal and for food and, and, um, you know, no plastics. I very, I limit canned foods, very rarely have canned foods because canned foods contain BPA. I say no to cash register receipts, you know, like that's just, that's how I do it. Top resources that our audience could, I'm sure after listening to you, they want to hear more. So where can they find more just good resources in general on kind of avoiding toxins, but also tell us about your website where listeners can find you, what courses you have available there as well. For people that are, for anybody can come to my Instagram, which you can find me there at environmental toxins nerd. Um, I'm not on TikTok yet, but I have that same handle. So people can follow me there and I'll start posting content there soon. And then my website, which is just lauraadler.com, uh, which is my name. There's like I said, in the social media platform, it's, education and information that is accessible for everybody. It still is designed for a health practitioner, health professional, or somebody with a health-based business. Um, you know, one of the things that I teach, it's not just information and stats and this chemical is linked to that. We do really have to learn how to talk about these um, exposures in ways that doesn't overwhelm people, want people to bury their heads in the sand. Um, and that is very much a developed skill. Uh, and so I work a lot with my students on how to do we have this conversations in our businesses in ways that 
empowers people and doesn't overwhelm them. That's not sensational or fear-mongering because look, it's 2023. The world is already a wild and scary place. We do not need more. You know, it might be clickbait and get sort of social currency, but it doesn't actually earn actual currency for people that are doing this professionally. Um, So uh, if somebody is a health professional or has a health-based business, I really encourage you guys to come check out the courses that I teach. Um, This is the core of what I do is educate. And you can find all those courses uh, that are listed up on my website under the courses section. Yeah, I think that's it. Oh, uh, other resources. So um, a really great app and browser extension that I love is called Clearia, C-L-E-A-R-Y-A. As a app and as a browser extension, it basically scans ingredient lists on um, a handful of websites. So Amazon, Target, Walmart, Sephora, and iHerb, I think are the five websites that they currently partner with. And so if the listing has ingredients, they will scan the ingredients and they don't give a rating system. I don't like apps that use rating systems. They just highlight this one is green is fine. Yellow is eh. Orange is not great. Red has some toxicity issues. And then you can just decide from there, do I want to buy this product or not. So I just feel like that's one of the best resources. They've also just... Actually, it's not out yet. I have early access. It's not out yet, but they're updating their app so you can actually scan barcodes um, on products. So you don't actually have to go to Amazon or Sephora's website or Target's website. I haven't heard of that. Clear, C-L-E-A-R-Y-A, Clear yet? Yeah, Clear yet. Cool. Yeah, I just I think it's the it's the only app that I, I really recommend because it doesn't use a rating system and rating systems can inherently be problematic because if the methodology to develop that rating isn't great, then the score is less meaningful. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Okay, last question. Finally, your top longevity tip. Yeah, I'm just gonna say minimize exposure to environmental chemicals, period, end of story. Do your best. Makes sense. And you can help us do that. This was awesome. Thank you. I know this was a long interview, but thank you so much for coming on the show and just sharing the danger of environmental toxins and how, you know, small amounts can really add up and sharing kind of what we can do to avoid that. That is probably on our side the most, the, the avoidance piece. So this was wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're so welcome. Take care. Wow, toxic chemicals are everywhere, but as Lara says, you can live in this world and make small changes like avoiding fragrances and plastic, and ultimately this doesn't have to be expensive. Remember, the best water filter is the one that takes out the contaminants that you have, so consider getting your water tested with mytapscore.com, link of which I'll post in the show notes. Remember, the best intervention when it comes to toxic exposure is avoidance. To hear more from Lara, check out her Instagram at environmentaltoxicnerd and her website, Lara Adler, that's L-A-R-A-A-D-L-E-R.com. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I do read all the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, and for how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. This podcast is produced by Team Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.